0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to herod they departed to their own country by another way this is the word of the lord praise be to christ
0: all right friends so since we are on our third sunday of advent we're going to do a special little thing so raise your hand if you are in first second third or fourth grade can you raise your hand Okay, I want all of you to come up here and sit with me. And we're going to talk about something for just a minute. And I'm going to invite our pre-K kindergarten friends to come in as well. So if you could sit, like, in this general area facing me, it would be awesome. It's so good to see all of you. Yeah, exactly. Hey, guys, come in over here. You can sit right here. And while you're sitting, I have a fun little thing I'm going to hand out to you. So I just handed you something, and I want you to keep it in your lap so that the adults won't quite know what it is yet, okay? We're not going to tell them yet. Okay, so friends, today we are going to talk about the wise men. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the wise men before. I've heard of them before. So actually, the adults are going to learn about the wise men later from Pastor Scott, but we're going to teach them a few things before that. So let's do a recap first. Can you raise your hand if you can tell me, who was Jesus' mom? What was her name? Mary. Her name was Mary. What was Jesus' dad's name? Joseph. Uh-huh. Where, what town was Jesus born in? What kind of place was Jesus born in? A stable. A stable. What is a stable? Who can raise your hand and tell me what a stable is? A place where animals live. Exactly. Okay, so last question for this moment. Who visited Jesus after he was born? There are several answers to this. Yes. The shepherds. Who else? The wise men. men. Exactly. And we're going to talk about the wise men today. Okay, another question. Raise your hand if you can tell me one of the gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus. They brought three gifts. What were they? One? Gold. What's another one? Frankincense. And one more? They did bring treasure. What was the third treasure that they brought? They did bring myrrh. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to tell you some things about the wise men. Are you ready to learn some things? Grab your thinking brain. Grab it up here. Adults, grab your thinking brain, please put it on. Thank you. Okay. We're going to learn some things about the wise men. The wise men came from very far away. We're not, we're not sure exactly where they came from, but they came from very far away and they were probably kind of old and they were very wise and very serious and they might've had big beards. You're so right. And they were very rich and they were very powerful. And they came from so far away to visit baby Jesus. They did come from the East. You're so right. Who can tell me what told them where baby Jesus was. There was something in the sky. Annie. A star. Okay, so I need you to think for just a second. When you're in the car, you're not driving, your mom or dad are driving. When you're in the car, what does your mom or dad use to know where they should go? Yes. A map. What else might they use? A phone. Has anybody's mom or dad ever used a star or other celestial being? No? 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 No one's mom or dad has ever done that? Okay, so here's the funny thing. The wise men had probably never done that either. Like, that wasn't normal in Jesus' time either. But God put a star in the sky to guide the wise men. And here's another funny thing. They probably felt a little bit crazy sometimes because they were following a star. Have you ever followed a star before? I have not either, but they follow the star, and they probably follow the star through hot places or cold places, maybe places that were very beautiful or places that were kind of ugly, and then they came to a manger. Now, here's the thing about a manger in a stable. It does not smell very good. Can you put your hand over your nose and say, it does not smell very good? No, it's very bad in the manger. Exactly. So when they got to the manger, when the star led them there, they were probably a little bit like, I'm sorry, what's going on? This doesn't make a lot of sense. But here's the thing I want you to remember about the wise men and Jesus in the stable. Can you hold up your hand about to grab the thing I'm going to tell you? Okay, here's the thing. Jesus came for everyone. Can you say everyone And we know that from the very first minute that he was on the earth, because there were some very wise, very important people, the wise men at the stable, and there were some not as important people, the shepherds. They didn't have a lot of money like the wise men. They didn't have a lot of fancy clothes like the wise men. Jesus came for everyone, and he came to a place we didn't expect him to come to. Did he come for you? Yes. Uh huh. Did he come for me? Uh huh, he totally did. So, and the other thing that I want you to remember Jesus is actually the very best gift that we could ever receive. And we receive him at Christmas time. So, before we go, I want you to think for a second. Think about how Jesus is our very best gift that we receive at Christmas time, and also how we should give our very best gifts to Jesus. If you were going to give Jesus a present, think of your most favorite thing. If you were going to give Jesus a present, I want to hear from three of you. What would it be? What would you give Jesus? Okay, very nice. What else would you give Jesus? I'm going to give Jesus a trumpet. A trumpet? I like that. Let's do two more things. What would you give Jesus? All your treasures. That's very nice. What about one more thing? Yes. You would give him yourself? (laughs) That is very nice. Okay, friends, you did so well. Hold up your object to show the adults what we have. We have stars, and they're going to help us remember that the wise men follow the star, that we can follow the Lord like the wise men follow the star, and that Jesus is our very best gift. Okay, if you are in pre-K kindergarten, I want you to stand up and go out the door with your teachers. And if you are in first through fourth grade, I have two options for you. Do you know the two options? First option, I have kids' bulletins for you. If you would like to stay in here with your parents, you are welcome to do so. We have kids' bulletins in the lobby. But if you would like to, you may go with Miss Glory, and she's going to go over there and do an elementary message. So you are welcome to do either of those things. Great job, y'all.
2: Good job, boys and girls. Good job, Lindsay. So who is this stranger up here? It's not Russ. I was hoping for Russ. I don't blame you for hoping for Russ. Um... Just consider me Russ Ramsey without care. The Old Hickory Boulevard uh, location. And uh, it's my frillage uh, here to to stand in for Russ this week and uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, what we're calling the stargazing wise men. I think Lindsay did a great job Uh, Getting us started Um, These were very powerful people Uh, They were very intelligent Highly educated uh, people as well And so modern day equivalent Might be uh, the Ivy League uh, University climate So if you were to walk The Harvard campus today uh, You may or may not be aware of this If if you've not been to Harvard uh, There is Bible everywhere there, is, there are signs of, 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 uh, of Christian roots and heritage everywhere. Virtually every academic building, when you walk in, greeting you there will be a passage from the Bible over the door, written in stone. If you go to Princeton University, uh, there's actually a cemetery right in the middle of the campus, and buried there are well-known historic Christian Uh, ministers and theologians like Jonathan Edwards, Archibald Alexander, Benjamin Warfield, Charles Hodge, and many others. If you go to Yale, uh, there in the library, you'll find the Jonathan Edwards collection of his handwritten uh, sermon manuscripts and his handwritten book manuscripts. In fact, every Ivy League university except for one was founded by Christian ministers Uh, and or lay people, and the same is true of Oxford, of Cambridge, of St. Andrew's University in Scotland, the same is true of Vanderbilt, the same is true of Belmont, the same is true of Lipscomb. So much of higher education was formed uh, by those who were anchored into Christ. And I'm sharing with you a little bit today about the Christian origins of the Ivies, Because I want to draw attention to another thing that all the Ivies have in common. There's also a gravitational pull and trajectory that's happened now for several decades away from Christian beginnings, and Ivy League universities have actually become, especially since the Enlightenment, uh, a place for training up the world's brightest atheists, agnostics, and secularists. And, you know, Harvard might be representative of that trajectory uh, where the latest uh, uh, surveys show that 37% of Harvard's faculty identifies as either atheist or agnostic, whereas 40% identify as theists who believe in God. I'm not sure what happened to the other 23%, but uh, the class of 2020 at Harvard of undergraduates uh, 38% identify as atheist or agnostic, and less than that, 34% identify as Christians. And so there's there's been a gravitational pull in the other direction. And uh, if you are a Christian, as I am, uh, I don't think this is reason to become necessarily discouraged or despairing, because if if you look at the course of history, and even if you look at At the earliest days of Christianity, even from texts like this one, uh, it is from the place of having minority status in the culture that Christians have had a deeper, more faithful, and more intellectually sharp faith. We tend to get lazy and unthinking the more we find ourselves in a comfortable majority. And so this isn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of the flourishing of Christianity. But, um, you know, the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make here, though, is that there has been an erosion of faith and a gravitation away from uh, Christian origins, and, uh, and that's happening especially among knowledge elites, philosophers, public intellectuals, or those whom uh, Thomas Wolfe uh, called the culturati, Okay? And so that makes texts like this, especially in our late modern times, especially and uniquely surprising. Because the wise men are the philosophers. The wise men are the PhDs. They are the Ivy League culturati of their time. If the first, first century had NPR or a Terry Gross, Or if the first century, if you're more conservative, if if the first century had a National Review or a David Brooks, they would come out of this group. Those podcasts and programs would be run by this group. They were the the go-to voices. They were the interpreters of their times. They were the kingmakers. They were the public intellectuals. And these are the people who also, instead of coming... Uh, you know, from a place of intellectual authority, and here are all the answers. They're coming with all the questions. And they're asking their questions uh, to people who could not even read, shepherds, and, and to young, uneducated women like Mary. And the question is, can you show us the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star And we have come to worship him. And so, a little bit of background on the wise men. They were from the east, uh, uh, from uh, probably Persia and Babylon. And how would they have been clued in to a star and to, uh, to a king being born in Bethlehem? Well, it would have been through interaction with their Jewish neighbors in Babylon who were there in Babylon because of exile. And so their Jewish neighbors were also their oppressed neighbors and possibly even their slaves. And here they're taking direction and guidance and wisdom from oppressed minority slaves. And they follow and they make a long, costly trip based chiefly on two prophecies from the Old Testament Scriptures once from Micah 5.2, You, O Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come a, forth a ruler from of old in Israel, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And then the second one from Numbers 24.17, A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter from Israel, who will crush the head of kings like Herod. And so, to the wisdom of the day, for these wise men to take this trip, to pour expensive gifts at the feet of this baby, it, 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 it would have been a suicide mission. Because people are referring to this baby as the, 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 the king of the Jews. But Herod viewed himself as the king of the Jews. And so if Herod couldn't get them, at the very least it was career suicide because here you have public intellectuals taking their guidance from people who didn't have an education. You you could call it a gravitational pull toward Harvard's beginnings. A gravitational pull toward the foolishness of God, which, as the scriptures tell us, is wiser than human wisdom. And so, three headings I'd like to, to focus in on this morning one is the foolish ideas. The second is the foolish associations, and the final one is the foolish dreams of these wise men and everybody who aligns with their wisdom. Uh, Foolish ideas, first of all. Every culture and every generation, there there are aspects about that culture, aspects about that generation that do overlap with the wisdom of Christianity, But then there are also aspects of Christianity that uh, every culture and every generation finds objectionable and possibly even offensive, appalling, and evil. And here you've got it in the first century. There's this clash with how people thought about power. So you've you've got King Herod, the consummate politician, and I don't know if you caught it or not in the reading of the Scripture when Nathan read the Scripture, but he gives the first century equivalent of a pandering stump speech. Uh, he's like the godless politician who finishes every speech with, God bless America. You know, have you ever have you ever, um, you ever seen that uh, movie? Uh, I don't think it won any Oscars. It's called Head of State. Chris Rock was running for president, and then there was another man, a buffoon, uh, running for president against him, and this other man that Chris Rock was running against, he would finish every stump speech with the words, God bless America and no place else. God talk as a means, power as the ends. And so, Herod says this, this is his stump speech, search diligently for the child. When you find him, tell me, so I too can worship him. But by worship him, he means kill him. You know, next week we're going to um, study the environment of the first advent. And that environment was an environment of terror and trauma. No hot chocolate there no warm lighting, terror and trauma, Rachel weeping because her children are no more. This same King Herod, because he hears rumor of a baby king that's been born, issues a decree that every male child to and under in the region be killed so that he can cover all his bases and make make sure this child in particular is killed. He's willing to kill every boy under the age of two, just to get at this little boy. So, there's a clash with power that the culturati are entering into. There's also a clash with the sexual norms of the day. In in many ways, things have not changed for centuries, for millennial. Because in chapter 14 of this same gospel, Matthew's gospel, we see Herod the Tetrarch, who is the son of this King Herod, Uh, He has essentially taken his brother's wife as his own mistress to add to his many other wives, and John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, also a Jewish prophet, says this is wrong. He speaks truth to power, and power doesn't like what he says, and so power decides to throw him in jail, and then power eventually cuts his head off, severs his head from his body. So, the sexual norms, you're going to get punished, you're going to be regarded, John the Baptist, as evil if you contradict social dogma and popular dogma about sexuality of today. You're the evil one. You're the absurd one. You're the immoral one. Off with your head. And then with financial dogma, it says that they bring costly gifts. And they take a costly journey as well. It's miles and miles and miles. It was like a 20-day walk to get where they were going to see this child. And it says that they pour out gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just imagine the most expensive bottle of wine. So when we lived in New York City, um, I was friends with the number two guy at a hedge fund. And apparently there's a big difference between number two and the number one person at a hedge fund because the number two person said that the number one person regularly drops $25,000 on a bottle of wine. Okay? So imagine taking that bottle of wine and just pouring it out. Come to worship him. What? Yeah, can I have one sip of that, right? Um, Costly essential oils all poured out at the foot of this poor Middle Eastern refugee child. What's baffling here is that you did not do that with your resources. You know, one historian said that the thing that confounded society about followers of Christ in that day is how conservative they were with their bodies and how promiscuous they were with their money clash with everything that the world valued, when you're at peace with God because Jesus has become your king, there are going to be people who want to declare war on you because you find yourself at odds with the popular dogma of the day. Every generation thinks other generations are stupid and every generation thinks that they're the generation that's the enlightened one, that they're the generation that got it right. I would just bet that over 90% of us in here think that our great-grandparents were way too conservative, way too conservative. You ever seen Leave it to Beaver, where you go into Ward and June's bedroom, and they have separate beds? How regressive is that? How prudish is that? And yet, Our grandparents, over 90% of them, would be appalled at the sexual revolution of which we are a part and of the things that we are normalizing and even inviting into the church. See, there's overlap and there is departure from both conservative thought and progressive generational thought. There are parts of the gospel that make sense, and there are other parts that collide, right? If you are a follower of this King Jesus, you're going to be too conservative for your liberal friends and and, and, and relatives, and you're going to be too liberal for your uh, conservative friends and relatives. It's true of every culture as well. You go over to the East today and And the the prevailing philosophy is the tribe, the community, at the expense of the individual. Be true to your community, they say in the East. But here in the West, we say, be true to yourself at the expense of the community. Both have positive contributions. In in the East, you're at risk of of losing your, uh, your, your, your individuality and your uniqueness. If your whole identity gets lost in your community, and yet, the selflessness factor is a gospel virtue, whereas here, the gospel virtue is you are unique, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you're a snowflake, there's no one like you. These are all true things. God has designed you masterfully as a work of art, but it's not about you. Expressive individualism, uh, being true to yourself at the expense of the community, is a godless thing, not a virtuous thing. See, you're on a collision course with generations with cultures if you are in Christ. But the wisdom of God, here's the great thing about being in participation with the wisdom of God. It's transcultural, it's transgenerational, it's timeless, and it applies to every nation, tribe, and tongue beautifully. You read Christian books from 2 years ago 20 years ago 200 years ago 2000 years ago and there's a thread of consistency and congruence the same yesterday the same today and tomorrow's books 20,000 years from now will be saying the same things you're in community with all kinds of generations. This is why we do liturgy. This is why we, we read things written by dead people and we quote dead people on a regular basis. This is why at a predominantly white church we we, we talk about the wisdom of Dr. King and, 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 and the wisdom of, 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 of people from Asian descent and, and, and Native Americans and such. Because the gospel is transcultural, it is transgenerational, such that you could have a 20- Five year old female medical student in Nashville, Tennessee, who could potentially feel more kindred with a 70 year old African farmer who has never gotten an education than she does with her fellow students because of the connection they have in Christ, which is transcultural and transgenerational. It's the beauty of the gospel. But it's foolish ideas that get us there, at least, foolish in the eyes of. The world in which we live, but then there are foolish associations. Tim Keller uh, talks about, you know, he just sort of speculates, he said, what if Jesus hired a campaign manager? And he told the campaign manager, I want to be the greatest political leader of all time. The goal is this, not only for our generation, but 2,000 years from now, I want 35% of the world's population building their lives around me and constructing entire civilizations around my teaching and building the calendar of their lives around the calendar of mine. One season of the year, I want them to celebrate my birth for an entire month. Another season of the year, I want them to celebrate my life and death for, for entire 40 days. And then I want the celebration to continue after those seasons as well. And the campaign manager says this. Let's start by not asking King Herod to speak at your campaign rally. Let's start instead by avoiding him and running from him. Disassociating with power. Let's start that way. Brilliant campaign strategy, right? Let's also distance ourselves from the celebrity pastors, from the scribes and priests, and instead let's seek our wisdom from our slaves, and from Mary, the young, teenage, virgin mother. Ha! The world will get behind that. And instead of calling yourself a wise man, call yourself a shepherd. Instead of calling yourself an educated, culturati, culturati, ivy league elite, call yourself a stupid, uneducated, irrelevant mess of a human being. Because that's how shepherds were regarded in that time. You know, in one of the, one of the commentaries I, I read in preparation for this message, this excerpt sort of leapt out off the page it says the world puts all of its emphasis on physical attractiveness brilliance of thought and speech influence power money and politics but god at christmas time began the whole career of jesus to utterly show the superficiality of everything the world wants when we don't have professional status material comfort power and influence money brilliance performance talent looks we are in agony The one person who has become the most single influential figure in the history of the world utterly scorned all the things that the world says are important. Left behind in the story, King Herod, Pontius Pilate the governor, chief priests, and scribes, the celebrity ministers. On the inside, The shepherds, the nobodies, the people of no account. The wise men, yes, they're the intelligentsia. This is encouraging. People who have an education are invited too. But you have to become a fool in order to sit at the table. That's the rub. They are the intelligentsia, but they are also ethnically inferior in the Jewish way of thinking at this time. And So here you have Jewish shepherds sitting with Gentile they were astrologers. Isaiah chapter 47 warns against astrology, says it's an evil practice. It's a pagan practice. And yet these wise men, these astrologers, are more Christian than the high priests and the scribes and the Bible teachers in this presentation. So I was reading in the biography of Gandhi once about how somebody asked him why, you know, having your global influence, access to kings and queens and royalty and riches and the nicest hotels, if you want them, why do you choose when you get on a train to always ride in the third class car? And his answer was because there is no fourth class. This is a word from a committed Hindu, Gandhi, to nominal, uncommitted Christians. Be warned that to the degree that you lack wealth, power, fame, status, access to the inner ring, be warned. That if that leads you into a panic, if that creates an agony in your heart that you lack these things, you are seeking company with Herod, not with Jesus. And where's that going to get you? We're naming our children after Mary and Joseph, and we're naming our dogs after Herod. They pursue a better wisdom, but it looks really foolish. Here's some of the Christ Prez trophies, and this is is encouraging, because we do have a community that includes a lot of people like the wise men, but that's not all that our community is at our three locations. We have trophies, acknowledged trophies in our community that the wise of the world would regard as foolishness. You know, I've been at our church for almost seven years, and there have been so many kind you know, people, men, women, kids, who've offered their encouragement of, you know, here's how my life is impacted by your ministry. And you want to know what, what the, the most common encouragement is? It's not my life has been changed through your preaching. It's not my life has been changed through your vision. It's my life has been changed through your depression. So when you, when you tell us that, that, that that's part of your story, it gives us hope for ourselves as well. It, it, it tells us that there is a place at the manger for shepherds as well as wise men and everything in between. Those who are treated as celebrities in our community are people with special needs, you know, the one event that gets more enthusiastic volunteers than any other event all year round is something we call Very Special Bible School. And I know a lot of you have, um, you know, who've been part of the old hickory thing, you know, in, have, have been part of that. And all of you get to consider being part of it, you know, every year from, from now forward. Very Special Bible School is our summer program for people with special needs, And their families and the volunteer rate is so high it's almost one person per one person there's such an enthusiastic response the biggest standing ovation that i have ever heard at our church was when a young man with severe autism had the courage to stand up in front of the microphone instead in front of a couple thousand people and read a passage of scripture five verses took him three and a half minutes Mic drop, standing ovation. He looks at the church and he does a little bit of a bow as he walks. That's a hero in our midst. Foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, We have people in our church who have the power of Pilate and who have the power of Herod in our time. And these are people who have dropped everything in order to use their power to assist weak and vulnerable people, and especially to advocate for vulnerable children. Two friends of mine just this past week, their vulnerable children have been secured from dangerous scenarios because of how someone with the power of Pilate and someone with the power of Herod wielded their power to protect that child and dropped everything, busy agendas, everything else, to do that quiet, behind-the-scenes work. Another sign of health. It's not so much nickels and noses as much as, here's a sign of health in our community, that there are many wise men and wise women. We have politicians, we have CEOs, we have venture capitalists, doctors, PhDs famous musicians, and they put themselves at the feet of people that the world regard as shepherds. Quite literally, our shepherds, which is another word that the New Testament uses for elders or overseers in the church, do include CEOs and venture capitalists and doctors and so on But they also include social workers, school teachers, woodworkers, landscapers, and people who are currently unemployed. And power people, culturati, are gladly submitting to their leadership. That's a sign of the kingdom. You see, you don't have to be poor in order to enter into the the, the wealthy poverty of the kingdom of God. But you have to identify with the poor. You have to see yourself on equal ground with the shepherd. You have to get on your knees and, and learn from the shepherd. To be an heir of the kingdom. And that's what the wise men are showing us, and that's the best thing they're teaching us here. And then lastly, foolish dreams. So, when our, when our oldest daughter turned 12 years old, she announced to us that the happily ever after stories that we've been reading to her all of, all of, all of her life, when she turned 12, she said, those are stories for kids 11 and under. It's an awakening for her. But in the Advent context… If, if you are facing the, the terror and trauma of a world run by Herod, her comment makes sense. You know, it's tempting to think that all those happily ever after stories, they're just there to, to help us escape from reality. It's like, uh, like Billy Joel in his, his song Piano Man. He says, I know that it's me they've been coming to see to forget about life for a while. And we think that way about the happily ever after stories. And we've actually taken some some not happily ever after stories and turned them into happily ever after stories. You know what the fairy tales were called before they became American fairy tales? Grimm's fairy tales. The word grim means cruel and fierce. I double dog dare you to read Cinderella in its original form. You will be deeply, deeply discouraged. And Beauty and the Beast, even more discouraged. See, but we've, we've put hot chocolate on them. We've surrounded them in pretty lights. But maybe we're on to something in doing so. Because maybe the grim story is not the last chapter. Maybe the grim story is somewhere in the middle chapter. But, but the story with the hot chocolate and the lights and, and all the happiness and none of the fear, and none of the terror, and none of the trauma. That's the last story, which all, that's the last chapter, which is also the longest. It's a chapter that never ends. It's a chapter in which you, you get younger every day instead of older. It's a chapter in which you get stronger every day instead of weaker. Maybe that's the reality in which we live. This is what Bonhoeffer said when he was in prison awaiting his own execution we're getting all John the Baptist on Adolf Hitler. He said this, "Our whole life is advent, a time of waiting for the ultimate, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. What if there is another advent to come? Same child except he'll come in glory, not as a weak little baby refugee, but as a king." Not as a tiny little Middle Eastern fool, but as a wise man from the East. Not as one who follows the stars and consults the stars for wisdom, but as the one who created the stars. Not as a violent king, but as a king who's benevolent and kind, who wields his power to support and advocate for the weak. With the lonely in families and to turn us all into trophies. What if this happily ever after story is the story beneath all of those happily ever after story, stories and the only difference is this is the one that is absolutely and historically and forever true. Not an escape from reality but an entry into it and into a glorious world Where an autistic child receives an ovation, where a wheelchair becomes a pulpit, and where people who ride fourth class become our teachers, and where the culturati fall on their knees after a long, long trip and pour out expensive gifts, because what else is there to do in response to something as wonderful as this?